concept of paying farmers money to sequester more carbon in their soils sounds like a win, environmentally, economically, agronomically. So why isn't it working? 93% of farmers are aware of carbon programs and 3% of them are participating in carbon programs. If you've got these programs where I'm asking farmers to change all sorts of practices, do this differently, and then I give you $5 an acre at the end or $20 an acre at the end, you're not paying them enough to change practices. So we want to uh, just work with their, within their existing agronomic practices. That's Michael Ott, who you may remember from his first appearance on this show back in episode 200 as the founder of drone spraying company Rantizo. Well, he's back now 200 episodes later as CEO of a new company fresh out of stealth mode called Sequesta. They use traits developed at the Salk Institute to help roots grow deeper in the soil, leading to more carbon sequestration and more resilient plants. He believes these genetics could be the missing component to making soil carbon sequestration scale economically. This is the first example that I've seen of a way to sustainably and scalably solve some of the climate issues that are out there. Michael Ott of Sequesta on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow Agner. Thanks so much for joining me. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. I'm very pleased that this quarter, the Future of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is Swap Maps. When you know more, you grow more. SwapMap's variable rate technology helps you understand the why of field variability and how to better manage it. Understanding soils is the core of a successful fertility program, and SwapMaps allows you to map, measure, and better manage your soils using data that accurately delineates areas with similar fertilizer response characteristics. Turn your data into actionable value with swap maps. They are your trusted variable rate provider on millions of acres with a 98% retention rate. Swap maps, they do variable rate right. Visit swapmaps.com to book a consultation or learn more. That's swapmaps.com. We'll link it in the show notes. I've known Corey, been very familiar with the swap maps team for a long time now, uh, ever since he was a guest clear back on episode 211 before he was just recently a guest again uh, a couple episodes ago thank you very much though to Corey and to swap maps for supporting ag innovation and of course the future of agriculture podcast all right back to today's featured conversation with michael ott of sequesta that's spelled c-q-u-e-s-t-a in case you're wondering and as i mentioned in the intro they're a deep root trait company that helps crops tolerate stress and earn carbon credits for farmers with no change in agronomic practices which is very interesting because all the carbon markets talk so far has been practice change it's all practice driven well they have a different approach involving new genetics michael is also the founding CEO and current board member at Rantizo, the nation's largest drone spraying company. He was on the show back in episode 200 talking about that venture. Well, before Rantizo, Michael worked in corporate venture capital backed by Monsanto, Novozymes, and Bungie, where he invented a patented technology that delivers a tiny amount of nitrogen to a rice seed as it grows. He has a master's degree in chemistry from the University of Iowa and two decades worth of experience in finance and agriculture. Michael's an author on five patent applications and has raised over $180 million in investments over the course of his career. He was also named Precision Ag Entrepreneur of 
the year back in 2021. So obviously a sharp guy with incredible experiences in ag tech, in uh, both on the finance side and on the science side, and of course as as an entrepreneur. Uh, today we talk about Sequesta and what makes this particular technology unique, what's not working in the current soil carbon market paradigm, how they plan to bring together seed companies, farmers, carbon credit buyers, and others to make this whole model work, why he jumped right back into another ag tech startup right after Rantizo, and a whole lot more. Enjoy this conversation with Michael Ott. You have been on the show before. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but I guess it's 200 episodes ago. So I guess it's it's longer than it feels like. But, um, you know, you're on the show, obviously, as the CEO of Rantizo, drone spraying company. Company is still going strong, um, but you now are in this new role with Sequesta. So maybe talk about uh, that decision to leave that company as far as day-to-day operations go and move into this new opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Well, first, you know, being on episode 200 and then now 400, I want to pencil in a date for 600. So in a few years, hopefully, hopefully we're, we're still doing this and have a lot of fun things to talk about. I'm sure there'll be many great stories. Uh, Rantizo, uh, we've added on a software portion to the business and really excited about what Mariah Scott is doing as the CEO there. She has a lot of great experience building software and drone businesses uh, specifically. And Rantizo is going really well. I hit about 200,000 acres this year. So really happy about that nationwide coverage. Uh, You know, we're as far west as Washington, hitting Oregon, hitting hops, doing potatoes in Idaho, a lot of rice in Arkansas, and then a heck of a lot of corn uh, in the Midwest, Iowa, Illinois, and and everywhere in in between there. So Rantizo is going well. I'm still on the board. I have a great relationship with everyone uh, at that company and uh, excited to see how it's grown from you know, my idea started it, everything else. Now it's a whole nationwide company. It was a lot to do. So I took a, a year of traveling, having fun, got to see a lot of amazing things all across the world, and then got recruited in to join Sequesta as the CEO and really excited about announcing our fundraise and getting out here in the market. Yeah, well, let's talk more about Sequesta. Uh, you know, I understand that it is uh, a private company kind of hatched out of this place called the Salk Institute. So maybe a good place to start is just tell us what the Salk Institute is and what they were doing that sort of led to uh, this company. Sure. So Jonas Salk invented the polio vaccine, made a major research institution out of that. Their work focused on all sorts of cures and really hard to solve challenges. And the Harnessing Plants Initiative at the Salk Institute is where all of this started. And that's something that's pretty exciting. It's world-class plant biologists really understanding genomics at a deep, deep level, and then able to take those insights and solve the biggest problems in the world. Obviously, one of them is climate change. So taking what we know about the genome of different plants and then applying that to solve the, this, this major, major issue. And one of the interesting things that people ask me, of, you know, why are you working in crops? Because we could do this in any plant. You could do it in trees. You could do it in grass. You could do it in whatever you want to grow. And there's $66 billion of seeds sold every year. And so I believe that if we can get into that market where people are already paying to buy seeds, already getting paid for the product that comes out of it, that's a way that you can get global scale. So that's where we're choosing to focus in the agricultural markets. I happen to have a lot of experience there. That's probably why I chose it. But that's uh, that's really where the, the core of everything came out of the SALK and then ability to deploy this and something that truly should scale uh, globally. 
Nice. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into kind of the business model and how that scales. But before we do, let's make sure we understand the solution itself. So what you're doing is helping crop plants grow deeper roots to sequester more carbon. Is that right? Yeah, well, it's deeper roots, period. Like that, that is, if you can understand the root architecture of plants, that is the core of what we're doing. And if you can make them grow deeper, get more roots, that's beneficial in many circumstances for most crops. So that's where we're, where we're going. And we want to have the right amount of root growth. You don't want to have exclusively root growth because it's like, you know, building a building. You need a solid foundation, but you don't need to go thousands of feet below the surface. That's counterproductive. So we want to have the right amount of roots and the ability to uh, go deeper down. Uh, that will really help with plant stability. It'll help in times of stress. So when you've got a drought, if you have roots that are able to go deeper, obviously you're going to access that water table at lower levels. If you've got a nutrient deprivation, the ability to get more out of the soil is certainly important. So that's really the, the main angles that we're marketing to farmers because they understand deep roots are universally uh, liked by farmers. You're probably 75 out of 75 of the direct conversations I've had with actual farmers about this. Every one of them likes the deep root opportunity. Additionally, you can store carbon below the surface of the soil if you put it down deep. If you're doing stuff at the top, that's probably going to get tilled up. That's probably going to get disturbed. You know, as, as animals graze over the top or people drive over, that's going to get disturbed. So we want to store carbon below at least the 30 centimeter level, if not the 50 centimeter level. So get way down below the, the surface of the soil. And at those levels, carbon stays there a long time, and then you can get a credit for the farmer that's actually uh, put this whole thing together. Absolutely. And, and is the end result just the depth of the roots themselves, or is it also the nature of the roots in some way? I, I watched a video on the website that says something about subarin, which is some sort of like, you know, carbon dense uh, part of the root. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So there's three things that are really advantage. Deeper roots, more roots, and more subarin. So a deeper and more are pretty easy for people to understand. Deeper is better. More gets you access to more things. Subarin is a compound like cork, like a wine cork, that basically does what a wine cork does, prevents oxygen and water from getting in and out. And you need just the right amount of that in your roots. You need that for water transpiration. You need it to hold the consistency and density to be, to be right. And what happens is there's no natural consumer of subarin. There's no microorganisms that eat it. There's a couple fungi that can cleave it, but all they can do is cut it in half. Nobody, nobody eats this. So it stays around for a very, very long time. So the belief is that adding a little bit more subarin will lead to carbon. If you're deep down, that will be there for a very, very long duration. You're talking centuries, maybe millennia, if you're deep enough and, and with high enough subarin content. So there's both a uh, sort of a crop resilience and a, and a carbon sequestration angle to this. Um, what do we know about the trade-offs involved? And one of my first questions is like, okay, if I have a crop that's you know putting more energy into growing deeper roots, is that energy that would otherwise be used to grow above ground biomass or crop? Are there you know kind of trade-offs when it comes to production to do this? Yeah, you want to strike a balance there. You want a little bit more roots. A little bit more is great. If you're exclusively growing that, 
that that would be a bad thing and we don't want to do that. And that's where some of the earlier work uh, with expression of root traits has gone like in the 90s, 2000s. The ability to do this uh, was was available, but you're basically expressing root growth all over the entire plant. So while the roots were deeper, the plant was was harmed in, in terms of yield and stature and everything else. And we don't want to do that. What we do want to do is, is stimulate the growth a little bit extra, and then with a more with more roots, you do have those beneficial characteristics that come in. So it's kind of a balance. You can't just go crazy one way or the other at the cost of yield because we, at the very least, want to be yield neutral. And we really believe that in a stress situation, uh, being yield neutral is great or will reduce the amount of yield loss in a drought. So that type of thing is kind of where we're going on the on the yield side. Yeah. And it makes sense to me that the value here for a farmer, at least in the in the short term, is going to be this resilience. If a, if a plant has deeper roots, they're able to access more water when it's dry, access more nutrients if, if they're deprived of certain nutrients, et cetera. Um, for those that might be listening, though, that are in, really interested in carbon sequestration, uh, what does the science tell us? What do we know about how much more carbon could be sequestered and what the permanence of that carbon could be uh, as a result of deeper roots? Yeah, so uh, getting down below the surface of the soil where it's not going to be torn up or disturbed for anything else, then you can really store carbon for quite a long time. Uh, we've got a great chart uh, that we're, we're putting up on our website. Uh, we're coming out of stealth mode. So when we're recording this now, we're still pretty quiet by the time it comes out. Hopefully people have heard a lot about us because we'll have a press rollout coming out here in the in the next couple of weeks. But being below the surface of the soil is really uh, important in terms of permanence. As you get below the 50 centimeter level, about 80% of that carbon is more than 100 years old. So the amount of turnover decreases pretty substantially as you go deeper. And that's because of oxygen levels. So as you go lower into the ground, oxygen is less and less prevalent. With less oxygen, there's less microbial activity so there's fewer microbes, you know, chewing through things, eating them up. And then those microbes that do chew th through things, they aren't necessarily respirating all the way up to the top of the surface. So that's where it, it really matters. Uh, going low is the, the key thing there in terms of, uh, of a carbon credit. And we know all, all the stats around this. So you're playing soybeans, call it 140,000, 150,000 seeds per acre. If I can get eight grams more carbon per seed, which is not a huge bar, I'll get just over a ton per acre. So if I get eight grams more per seed, that gets me a ton of carbon per acre for the farmer to then sell. And we've got a whole monetization plan that comes around there. Yeah. And let's talk about that, that monetization plan, whatever details you can share at this point, obviously. But is that in partnership with one of these other existing carbon programs that are out there? Yeah, so we will be forward selling the carbon and, you know, we're early. So this is a seed stage company. So everything that we're doing is is prophetic. And uh, our plan is to partner with some of the different protocols, make sure that we're registered, make sure that we're following all the rules, make sure that the product that we're selling from a carbon point of view is what the industry wants. I'm a big believer in the lean startup you know, understanding your customer's needs. And in this case, the customer is the carbon buyer. And that's going to be an energy company, an airline, a tech company, a big bank, you know, JP Morgan and Microsoft, they're making announcements about the credits that they're buying. So we want to understand their needs and then make sure that what we're doing with our agriculture partner meets those needs. So you've got to really pull this whole system together. And that's something that I learned uh, in the Rantizo example, like at Rantizo, 
we weren't just selling a drone, you were selling the whole system because people needed that system to be successful. You needed a trailer, a reloading device, insurance, permitting, support, all of that. Same thing is happening here. We want to partner with a seed company. We want to partner with the carbon purchaser. And then the farmers in the middle of all this, everybody has to make money on all those steps. So that's what we're working to put together. And is this a trait that you're going to somehow, you know, work with the seed company to insert into their existing genetics? Um, how, how does that part work? Exactly. It is a trait. And we're going to be gene editing to put that in. People talk about the difference between gene modification and gene editing. Uh, real quickly for the audience, gene modification is taking something from a different organism and putting it in a target organism. So BT is probably the best example of something that's insecticidal. You can put that in corn or cotton and then have those insecticidal properties in the in the desired crop that's not what we're doing we're taking something from the existing organism and just editing that into the same organism so taking a deeper root soybean trait and then putting that trait into a soybean that has elite germplasm that gets you great yield so the regulatory process is much faster there getting it in uh, and, and pushing everything through is is much easier and we'll do that in partnership with the seed companies. Uh, so we're examining the different ways to exclusively partner with one, non-exclusively partner with all of them, break it out by crop, break it out by geography. So the, the world is our oyster there and it, almost paralyzed by decision, but it's, they're all good decisions to be able to make. So, so with Sequesta, obviously this is coming out of work being done by the Salk Institute and, and everything you've said makes a lot of sense to me, like all these various pieces coming together. Which piece of it has been kind of the unfair advantage of sequestra coming out of Salk Institute. Is it the traits that are already developed themselves? Uh, is it the kind of the research of what this means for carbon sequestration? What what kind of the core competency of sequestra coming out of the Salk Institute? Yeah, so with Salk, they in the Harnessing Plants Initiative, there's been over $130 million of philanthropic money that's gone towards you know, building the backbone of this, just understanding how do you analyze these things? What's the atlas of promoters? Promoters are what you need to stimulate different uh, genes and traits in the in, in different crops. So there's all sorts of background work that's been done, and we're really happy about that. Majority of it was done in Arabidopsis, which is a model crop. It's not really grown for anything except for it to be tested. And so we've got a great understanding there. And then we've taken what we've or they have taken what they learned there and then put it into uh, kind of publicly available soybeans, sorghum, canola, rice, et cetera. So we are showing that things work in you know, publicly available strains of these, of these crops. Now we need to go to elite germplasm and that's where we need partnerships with the different players uh, and the seed company and, and you know, other industries so we can really test this out in the versions of those crops that actually matter. So that's kind of where we got our unfair advantage of having a whole bunch of, of initial work done by, uh, by some philanthropic donors that really have a great view on the world and the ability to to make things happen so that's been been pretty fantastic and so is the seed company your customer or is the farmer your customer so we have two customers one is the seed company because we're going to be licensing a thing to them and then they're selling that to the farmer so the farmers kind of the grand customer you know your kids and your grandkids so we always have to have the farmers needs you know at the top of our mind because they're the ones that are actually deploying this but we're selling to the seed company who's selling to the farmer so that's customer number one customer number two is the carbon buyer so we know what they need and then we have to have the farmer be able to do that so 
Uh, we've got two customers, seed companies and carbon buyers. Farmers are a critical portion in the middle. And in order to make everyone make money on this, we've got to make this as easy as possible for the farmers. And that's what our system is. There's no change in agronomic practices. You do what you've always done. You're buying the seed from the same person, planting at the same time, spraying and harvesting at the same time, and you're going to get an extra uh, carbon credit on the top of this. So that's how the system needs to work, because if you've got these programs where I'm asking farmers to change all sorts of practices, do this differently, and then I give you $5 an acre at the end or $20 an acre at the end, you're not paying them enough to change practices. So we want to uh, just work with their within their existing agronomic practices. And that that's how we plan to do it. And so even if they, you know, let's say they, they um, are full tillage farmer and they plant this, they could still be uh, earning carbon credits or, you know, earning money for sequestering carbon. Yeah. So the, the model that we're, we're proposing is we'll license to a seed company. And then when the farmer's buying their seeds, you know, they're ticking all the boxes of what they want. They want Roundup Ready. They want BT. They want this duration, et cetera, et cetera. We want there to be one more box that says deep roots slash carbon sequestration. I would like to give that away for free and walk you through that model. But if we give that to free, I think that gives us the widest adoption. Farmer just gets deeper roots for nothing. Uh, we get the right to see their data just to see that they grew something, planted it and harvested it. We're not messing around with anything else there. We just need to confirm that it happened. And then at the end, we will have forward sold their credit and then they get a check at the end of the year. So that's how that system will work where you tick a box and you get a check at the end of the year. That's the ultimate version of the model that we uh, we want to do. We're a couple of years away from that. So we got we have some work to do to get there, but that's what I'm envisioning and, and trying to put together. I know I've heard from farmers that some of the carbon programs, the aspects of the carbon programs they don't like are the fact that they have to be roped into like a 10 year contract. Uh, but in this case, if it's going deeper down, it's going to stay there. You know, your arrangement with them could kind of be year to year. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, I know you're a stats guy. So am I. And one of my favorites is that 93 percent of farmers are aware of carbon programs and three percent of them are participating in carbon programs, which shows the quality of the program has not been very good. The level of money has not been very good versus the effort required. So we're aware of all these situations and we want to do something that is low effort, high return. And that's why we're setting up the system uh, in the way that we are. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, this is uh, like any big idea. There's a lot of facets to this. Um, so you've got a big job ahead of you. Maybe talk about where the company is today and what's kind of top of your priority list um, here in the near term. Yeah. So we're to, today we're announcing uh, just under $5 million uh, seed round. Uh, happy that that came together with a big uh, strategic energy company as a, as a partner. And then some uh, angels that have come through to really push this technology forward. That's uh, the big announcement that we're able to get a $5 million round closed here uh, in, a, in a pretty tough fundraising environment. And so what we're doing is a couple things. One, on the science side, developing these traits, making sure that they work in the target crops. Uh, we're gonna be working in a cover crop. We're gonna be go to, go to sorghum, soybeans, and canola kind of as our pathway into the market. We're developing an MRV system, measurement reporting verification. So that needs to come together. In the near term, we're gonna be digging up a heck of a lot of plants 
and uh, measuring the amount of root addition that we're able to get with our traits. Eventually, we want that to go digital and be able to do that by a satellite stand count. Uh, we believe with some statistics, we can make that work. And putting that whole system together in, in addition to forward selling the carbon. So that's kind of the three main things that are on, in my mind of how this all comes together and then getting the team in place to do that. You know, we're obviously looking to hire smart people and then uh, bring in more capital as we uh, as we develop this going further. Nice. And I mean, just thinking about th this conceptually as I'm processing here, um, you know, the seed company gets more resilient genetics. So they have, you know, let's say when we get those, uh, what are those wins called in Iowa? Uh, oh, the derecho. Yeah, derechos. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so I could see a clear benefit to the seed company, obviously the benefit to the farmer, the resiliency, and then the carbon sequestration, you know, the people who are paying for the carbon credits. And that's where like the added value comes in, I would think where they're like, okay, we want to pay more money for this. And so I, I guess it's just like, how do you split up the value that's generated from those carbon credits between all involved, the farmer, you know, uh, Sequesta and the seed company? Am I thinking about that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you, you've got it completely. And that's where people don't realize that carbon credits, there's different qualities of them. You've got everything from, you know, a McDonald's hamburger on one side, that's like a five twenty $20 thing that people are doing some cover crop work for, you can get a Ruth Chris steak. That's the direct air capture, $250 a ton. So you're kind of in that five to 250 range. We're modeling around $50 for our credit because we want it to be a high quality nature-based credit, which some people in the carbon industry would say that's an oxymoron. You can't have high quality and nature-based. And that's something that we want to prove that, that you actually can. Uh, so that that's where we're where we're putting it together. And then the way the split will work out. So say we've got a ton per acre and we're selling it for fifty dollars. We're thinking that half or two thirds of that would go to the farmer. So twenty five to thirty five dollars goes to the farmer because they're the one doing the work. Then the remainder is split between the seed company, the ag retailer and Sequesta. And that's how that process will go. Still figuring out details uh, right now. I want to uh, give the trade away for free. And I think that'll enable us to capture a little bit more of that back end, and especially when we're trying to prove this out. Right now, trying to get someone to pay for something they don't know the defined benefit of it, that's often a harder thing to sell. So if we give it away, especially up front, and maybe we capture half the benefit and the farmer gets half and they have no risk up front, I think that's a model that will resonate. Uh, we've talked that through with a couple dozen and that, that seems to be coming across pretty well, but obviously we need to do more customer discovery and get out there in the market and, and chat with people. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed you didn't mention corn. So sorghum, soybeans, canola, obviously there's a lot of acres between those three crops, but is that just because of root architecture? It's, it's more likely you can get deeper roots with those other three crops? Uh, corn is next on our list, corn, then rice. That's kind of the, the pathway. Uh, that's a, that's a level of funding. If we get more funding, obviously we want to work on corn. That's the biggest crop uh, in the U S for sure. And that's where we want to go more. So the reason is that the early work has had success in canola and soybeans, which are very close to the model crop uh, or a model plant that we've used as the as the organism there. So that's something that uh, we think we're more likely to have success in canola and soybeans. And those are also global crops with, you know, a heck of a lot of acres devoted to them. So excited to see what we can do in those markets. Yeah.
You talked about um, kind of developing your own uh, system for for MRV. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of other people working on on MRV right now when it comes to carbon sequestration and cropland. Why do you need to kind of develop your own? What do, what are you seeing out there that you need to work on this yourself? If if there is a scalable, verifiable nature based MRV system, let me know. I will happily partner with you. I I, I have looked quite a bit talked to quite a few people i don't think that this exists uh so that's that's why we're building it on our own so you need to you know measure report and verify that the carbon that you have is additional and permanent in the soil so what we're going to be doing is uh, measuring the amount of root biomass that exists in in traditional crops and then add our trade in and see the differential between the two that's going to require a lot of shovelomics you know digging up plants and uh and just measuring the the root biomass that's there and in order to do this in a statistically significant way we're gonna have to do a lot of them so then there's other things that can be done uh, to measure root biomass you can run electrical charge through it and measure the impedance there's something called a rhizotron where you can get images in the soil there's a lot of different ways to measure it we want to go from digging up to using these uh, measurement methods and then once we have statistically significant amounts of data to be able to say i know each one of these soybean roots for example is giving me at least eight more grams i'm just going to count the number of soybean plants that i put in the ground so that's 140,000 in this instance so we know that's going to give me 1.15 tons per acre We'll assume that there's a little buffer in there that we may be missed. So we'll go from 1.15 down to one and we'll call that a ton per acre. So that's the the mentality that uh, that we have going into this, that it's going to be a process to get there. We're going to dig up a lot of things. We're going to be doing a lot of different measurements. But ultimately, we want to get to something that's super scalable and, uh, and digitally verified. Hmm. Very cool. OK, well, if anyone out there is working on that. Uh, give, give Michael a call, but yeah, I know, I know it's also easier said than done. It seems like a really complicated thing, but a, a worthy endeavor. Um, you know, the, the people who listen to this show, I would say are at varying levels of their, of their climate concern. You know, uh, I don't, I don't know how many listen that are full out climate change deniers, but certainly some are more concerned than others and some more urgent in the need than others. Obviously for you, you must view it. I'm deducing that you view it as an urgent need and a problem that needs to be solved today. Um, how, how did you? arrive at kind of where you view the need for solutions for climate? Sure. So I've been a climate skeptic for a while just because I think that the majority of carbon programs aren't going to scale and aren't going to work. I, th- I think it's, it's always been an issue. We know that. But I think the majority of things that people are trying to promote out there are economically or energetically imbalanced. And that's, that's really challenging. So that's where I've had the majority of my concerns with it. Uh, we're working in nature-based sequestration within agriculture because this is the first example that I've seen of a way to sustainably and scalably solve some of the climate issues that are out there. And I I just choose not to debate anyone the causes of it. You're not going to change anyone's mind there one way or the other, so we just don't engage in that debate. There are some interesting stats that uh, inflation-adjusted in the 80s, there used to be $3 billion weather claims per year, weather incidents per year. In 2022, there were 18. So going from three to 18 in 20 years, or in, in 40 years. So that's a, a big issue. We're getting wetter and drier in the same times. And one of the things that I was privileged enough during my year of break between Rantizo 
and Sequesta, I got to travel the world quite a bit. And I went down to Antarctica and saw a place that used to have 35 feet of ice. And that's now bare soil. So I <laughs> saw the old pictures. I was there and now it's just bare ground. So we were in Antarctica and got to see that. I saw a place where there's a ski lift that they don't have a snowpack anymore. So someone went to the time and expense of building a ski lift, which is not a cheap, trivial thing to do. And they don't get enough snow there. In Iowa, uh, we had what, two 500-year floods in 1993 and 2007 or 8, and then another one in 2016 or 17, a 100-year flood. So we're either not going to have floods for the next thousand years or we're having more impactful floods. So all these things are happening regardless of where you think the cause is or not. And so we've got to do something about it. And that's where I want to do something that's scalable and, uh, and can be done in an economically feasible and beneficial way. That's where that's where I'm really excited to work on this. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you said, uh, you know, uh, kind of a year between Rantizo and Sequesta. H how did you know you were ready to get back into it? I mean, it seems like it's got to be an exhausting job. And uh, a lot of people have the benefit of ha having never done it before. So they don't you know, you kind of don't know to what extent you're getting yourself into. But you don't have that excuse. Uh, so how did you know you were ready for another another challenge and arguably a bigger challenge? Yeah, this is a big one. And that's kind of one of the main reasons that I wanted to take it on. It's a it's a huge challenge. It needs to be done. I felt like I was fairly qualified. Uh, I wouldn't say uniquely qualified, but fairly qualified to be able to bring in my skills, talents and network with a good science opportunity and the way to pull a business plan together. But that's been really exciting. And I I do have the benefit of just setting the company up in a smart way. Like we learned a lot of things with Rantizo. That was the first time I had you know, a company go from zero to nationwide and putting systems in place that, you know, you save your documents properly, you track what everyone's doing, you get your sales leads organized, all that stuff. So I feel like I've got a good process in place for that now. So I'm able to kind of skip ahead a couple steps in those, in those setup things. In addition, we know a nice network of investors and others that want to put money to work and things. That's been uh, very encouraging to hear from people that, oh, yeah, this is great. Let's figure it out. We'll do something together. And I've had a nice network of, of people there as well. So that's exciting. Very cool. And you mentioned kind of being in stealth mode. Uh, what is the thought process behind stealth mode? Is this the first time you've, you've been a part of a stealth company? And, and uh, how was that different? Yeah. So when I talked to a few people about what I was doing, we got extreme enthusiasm and good feedback. Like, I want to buy this. This is great. Let, let, let's get it out there. And we're a couple of years away from that. So we realized, oh, well, we can't do all the press and everything right now. We need to get our legs underneath us, get everything kind of set and ready for the get the lab set up, get our business model figured out, et cetera. So we've spent about a little more than six months in stealth mode here. And then now coming out, uh, being able to tell people what I've been doing is pretty exciting because uh, it's it's really resonated well with many people on both the agriculture side and the climate side, which that intersection is pretty low. Sometimes people have a negative perception on the climate front of what people in agriculture are doing and vice versa. So we want to have a big tent, bring everybody in and, and work towards solutions together.
And you, you mentioned kind of, you know, raising uh, this $5 million in a tough environment. And I, I think anyone who's paying attention would nod their head to that. It's a very tough environment out there. Maybe can you speak to uh, the differences? You've been down this road very recently, starting Rantizo in 2017 and now doing this. Um, how are the environments different? And, and what would you tell other entrepreneurs out there who are thinking like, oh, man, is now the wrong time to be starting a company? I mean, the, starting a company is like planting a tree. The best time to do it was 20 years ago. Second best time is today. So I'm, I'm always in favor of, uh, of trying to do something new. I think that's, that's great. And if it works in the world, that's fantastic. The fundraising environment now is really, really challenging. And that's a function of lack of exits, lack of later capital. So it's making the earlier capital scared. People are hoarding onto their money, trying to protect the existing investments that they've made. So it's a really challenging environment uh, right now. To be honest, it's not terribly different than we started Rantizo. So it, that was 2017, beginning of 2018, went through the Ag Launch Accelerator in Memphis, had a great experience there, raised capital right out of the accelerator. So that was probably easy. We raised 600 grand in a month and a half, which was kind of a cool idea, kind of a hot thing. So that was that was pretty cool. But then getting to our Series A, it was a year longer than we thought. So we did a bridge with investors and then we got uh, Bayer and Fall Line Capital to invest at, in Rantizo. And that really amped up what we had planned to do. It was a four or $5 million Series A that we ended up stopping at 7.5 because we had so much enthusiasm. So the enthusiastic times, uh, we have not yet seen that for Sequesta, but I'm hopeful that after we post some results and get some partners in, uh, we'll have people beating down the doors again. But getting to five million in this environment, I was really, really happy with. And and I'll, I should be upfront. We're not quite to five. We're almost there. I bet by the time this comes out, we'll be right at five, but we're, we're just short of it and trying to get there as soon as we can. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so very much to Michael Ott at Sequester for being on the show. Go check them out over on their website. It's just Sequesta.com. Again, that's C-Q-U-E-S-T-A dot com. Interesting stuff. It'll be uh, certainly one to watch as they roll out their data and start to commercialize uh, some of this product that they're developing. But uh, man, if if an early stage company is all about betting on the entrepreneur, I certainly think that uh, Michael is proven himself as as one to watch. So excited to watch the uh, continued development of Sequesta. And thank you again to Michael for being on the show. Thanks as well to our quarterly presenting sponsor this quarter, which is Swap Maps. Uh, go learn more about them at swapmaps.com. And last but never least, thank you so much for your time and your attention. I do not take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Oh,